Amen. Thank you, Brother Mike. That actually is the theme of the, what we're looking at in Colossians chapter 3. talks about the new life in Christ and how we are to live that. That's the crucified life, as we said this morning. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul turns to give us instructions as to how the believer in Christ who is seeking after God is to live the new life. If you want to know what God expects of us as believers, then read and study the book of Colossians, especially chapter 3. And we really wish we had time to do a very precise and concise exposition, a detailed exposition of this, but we don't. This morning, we stopped at verse 11 when Paul says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. And then he ends with this wonderful phrase in the New Living Testament. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Isn't that wonderful? Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Now, I also mentioned that in this new life, under the new covenant that we celebrated just now through the Lord's Supper, through this new covenant, we have commands to follow. There's some believers who believe that because we are under the age of grace now and under the new covenant, then we have no laws, we have no commandments. That is not true. Paul gives us at least, well, more than 30 or almost 30 different commands that the new believer or the believer as a new person in Christ are to obey if we are going to be real seekers after God. And we're going to look at some of them this evening after we have a time of dialogue with you because I promise that if you have any questions or comments concerning the message, we want you to share those right now. So let's begin. Anyone? Uh, I don't see. Yeah, we have some mics right here. Anyone? Any questions or comments concerning the message this morning? What are the first two commands that Paul gives in chapter 3, in the beginning of the chapter? The two of them. What was the first one? Say again. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart or your eyes on the things above. What was the second one? Put your mind on it. In other words, look at the risen Christ. The passage tells us that Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So we are to look at that and we are to think upon it. What is the truth emphasized? We mentioned some of them. One, he is seated. That indicates that his work of redemption is finished. It's done. He, he sacrificed himself. He sat down. The work is done. That should be celebrated tonight as well. The finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's seated in the place of authority. So we see him being as the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord. He is resurrected, he is ascended, he is glorified. We are to think upon that. Why? Because where Christ is, we are. We are seated with him in glory. We are in him. Therefore, where he is, we are. What he is experiencing, we are as well. He is saying, think upon these things. 
Because as we do so, we come to understand who we are in Christ. We come to understand our true identity. As I said this morning, the more we come to know of who Christ is, the more we come to understand of who we are in Christ as the children of God. Now, we quoted a passage in 1 John which says, Now we know that we are the children of God, but yet it, it, we do not know what we shall be, but we do know that when he appears, we shall be as he is. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. These are some wonderful truths that Paul is talking about. And these are the kind of truths that the seekers after God go after. You will not find an unsaved person seeking after these kinds of truths. Not at all. That's why I say again to you, Calvary Bible Church should be a seeker-sensitive church. But understanding who the true seekers are. True seekers are those who are seeking after intimacy with God to be like him. All right, any, other, any questions or comments before we move on? directly from the Bible. It's like when it is spoken truly, it's like having a taste of a honeycomb. Is that right? It is. Well, that's good. That's how it should be, my brother. That's why we got to focus on the word. And again, I, you know this is a thing with me now. I'm so distressed over what I hear preachers preaching. It's not the word. They talk about all kinds of things, how to get rich, how to stay rich, how to develop a relationship with people, how to do all kinds of things, but it has nothing to do with the Word of God. And remember this, the power to give us life, the kind of life we need to live, is found in the Word of God, not in the Word of man, no matter how wise it may seem, no matter how wonderful it may seem. It's in the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. That's why we have to go to the Word, explain it to the people of God, you'll understand it, and then the people of God will obey the Word they understand. Very true, Brother Clint, thank you. Anyone else? No questions, no comments. All right. If you have questions as we go along, let's look at the passage again. We're going to move on now to verse 12. Notice what it says. And we're going to go through this quite quickly because we don't have the time to do a detailed study of each word, each concept as we would like, but we don't have the opportunity. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, notice that, God chose us to be holy, not to be happy. All right? God chose us to be holy, the holy people he loves. Holiness, therefore, is what we must seek because the Bible says very clearly, without holiness, no man would what? See God. That speaks of an intimacy with him. Holiness of life. Again, when we talk about the seeker-sensitive, the seeker-unsaved person don't want to hear about holiness. They don't want to, be hear, they don't want to hear about the things that displeases God. Because you see, the things that displeases God are the things that pleases the unsaved. You have to understand that very clearly. 
Here is the twelfth command given in this passage. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Paul now uses an illustration here about how we are to live this new life using clothing as the illustration. The believer is to have an entirely new wardrobe, spiritually speaking. When we become believers, we need to go into our spiritual wardrobe and throw away everything because they are stink with sin, they are stink with selfishness, with the flesh, and so on. It must be done away with. And we put on new clothes. First, he says, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Again, this has to do with our character, who we are. And notice as you go down here, you're not going to see all kinds of things that you must come to church four times a week, or you must read your Bible a hundred times a year, or things like that. Now, those things are important, but Paul wants us to be concerned with the character of Jesus Christ, not just legalistic things that we do to satisfy ourselves to get pleasure from. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Fort, the 14th command, clothe yourselves with kindness. We are to put these things on on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis. 16th command, clothe yourselves with humility. 17, clothe yourselves with gentleness. 18, clothe yourselves with patience. All of these are the fruit of the Spirit. So he's simply telling us that the new life demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what we ought to be looking for in our lives. Are we, coming, are we becoming more like Christ day by day? If you are the same rowdy, bossy person you were yesterday, you're not growing. You have to be changing. Remember we talked about the metamorphosis that Paul talks about as we think upon Christ. We are to change. Our minds are to be changed. Our lifestyle is to be changed. We are to be transformed, being transformed in the image of Christ on a day-by-day basis. Gentleness, patience. The 19th command, make allowance for each other's faults. Now that's one A. Make allowance for each other's faults. Bear up with one another. One translation says, put up with one another. That's a hard thing for some of us, isn't it? To put up with some of others, even a Christian. Because of their attitudes, because of the things they say, the things that they do. You know, some people get the idea that the unsaved people love to come to church to be with Christians. That's not true. Deep down within the heart of every true Christian, they don't want to be with Christians. They look at Christians as a bunch of hypocrites. That's right, a bunch of hypocrites. We hate everything they love. We don't want drunkenness. We don't want drug abuse. Uh, we don't believe in homosexuality and all of those types of things. But the sinner believes in those things. They don't want a company with people. So we have a wrong idea when we think that unsaved people are going to trying to knock down the church to get into it. That is not true at all, according to the word of God. Not true at all. In fact, when you read the, I think it's Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 4, it says that when God was working within the church, that the unsaved people did not even want to come to church. They were afraid to come to church because 
holiness was demonstrated. If you lied, you could be killed. And so people didn't want to come to the church. But today we've tried to change that, to turn that around. Um, but that's not in keeping with the word. Make allowance for each other's faults. And command number 20, forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone. As God's people, none of us should be in a broken relationship with anyone else. If we are, we're not living the new life in Christ. That's what Paul is teaching here. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In other words, if you don't forgive, you are not Christ-like. Okay, how many times you come to church? I don't care what your offerings are. I don't care how much times you pray. But if you refuse to forgive someone who has offended you, you're not Christ-like. You're not Christ-like because Christ forgave others. Amen? He goes on. Above all, now this is what I call the clincher. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. He teaches the same thing in Ephesians 4. Talks about the bond of love that unites the people of God. And I repeat, if it's one thing that I desire more than anything else, is that God's people here at Calvary Bible Church will be known for their love for God and their love for one another. And I thank God I see love demonstrated on an ongoing daily basis by the people of God. There's so many things that have been done by members of this congregation for others. People does not know, do not know what's going on, but it's going on nonetheless. And I thank God for that. And we have so many opportunities to show love. We mentioned some today about the need for Kenny and Jan, for financial need. We show love by giving sacrificially to meet this need and other needs as well. Love. Paul says, clothe yourselves with love. And he said, above all, top priority, because this binds us together in perfect harmony. And so if you see us as God's people fighting and bickering and murmuring and complaining, it's because we are not showing love to one another. It also shows that we don't love God as much as we say we do. Because if we love God, we're going to demonstrate God's love to the people of God. Verse 15, this is command number 22. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. The word there has the idea of being a referee. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Peace with Christ only comes through faith in him and our assurance of the fact that our sins have been forgiven, that we have nothing against our brother and sister, nothing against God, our hearts, our consciences are clear, and we have peace and tranquility in our spirits and in our soul. Notice, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. So if you are a troublemaker, if you are someone who causes dissension here, you are destroying the church of Jesus Christ. As members of one body, you are called to live in peace. You are called to be peaceful with one another in the body of Christ. You're called to do that. If you're not, 
then you're not living the new life. Command number 23, always be thankful. Be thankful for everything, for everyone, all the time, anywhere. That's quite a thing, isn't it? But you see, that's the demonstration of the new life. As he was singing, not Christ, but Christ who liveth in me. It's impossible for us to be thankful all the time for any situation that comes up, to be thankful in that situation. But with Christ in us, we can be. We allow him to be the one to rule in our lives. Command number 24. Now, this is important. Actually, these two verses here gives us a format for a true worship service of seekers. One, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. I think how the King James says is, let the word of God dwell richly within you. I like this translation. Let the message about Christ in all its richness. You see, the word of God is rich because it focuses on the person of Christ. It focuses on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is rich. It is sweet. It is something that we must, compl we must always uh, have in our lives and our hearts. In fact, he said, let it fill your lives. That's why it's the word of God that should dominate our gatherings together because it's God speaking to us. Now, if you knew that God himself would come personally to our meetings, wouldn't you want to hear from him? Wouldn't you? I mean, you might have some other real big-time speakers and everything. You could have some great movies and everything. But if God himself came here, wouldn't you want to say, I want to hear from him? Well, you see, that's what happens when we open the word of God. God is here and he's speaking to us. It's the word of God that should dominate our meetings. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 14 when he talks about desiring the greater gifts. He's talking about desire those gifts that edify, that build up the people of God. Desire, he calls it prophecy there. Even when he talks about tongues, he says, if there's an interpreter, then let it happen. If it can be understood, but if it cannot, then don't let it happen. The point he's trying to make here, the word of God is designed to edify the people of God, to build them up. It is food for our souls. The word of God is food for our souls. Food, rich food, genuine food. Food that causes us to become Christ-like. So the message about Christ in all its richness is to dominate our lives, to dominate our meetings. The 25th command, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. This is where we exercise our gifts to one another. Remember in Hebrews, he says that when we come together as God's people, we are to provoke one another unto love, unto good works. That's what he's talking about here teaching and counseling each other with all the wisdom that God gives. That's what we're supposed to do when we gather together, talking about Christ, talking about what he is doing in our lives, not about baseball or fishing or all those things, but talking about Christ and talking about the word of God. This is a passage that Christian counselors use quite a bit, to teach and to counsel each other with the wisdom that God 
alone gives. Christian counseling is based upon wisdom that comes from God. Now here he goes on with singing. Verse 20, uh, there's 26 command. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. As I said, if you put these three verses together, you get a format for worship service. The preaching of the word, the fellowship of God's people as they share their gifts with one another, and the singing of hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, praise, and worship. That is how a Christian seeker service should be, right here. Seeker service here, focusing on the word of God, communicating with one another through the gifts God has given to us, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Look at it carefully. That's a seeker-sensitive service right here, right here. All the focus is on glorifying God, not pleasing anyone. The 27th command in this passage, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Beloved, that's the new life. That's what it means to be a seeker after God right here. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are, aren't we? And remember, when we talk about the exchange life, Christ in me, I in Christ. This is the exchange life. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's why he begins the passage, look at Christ in glory. Meditate upon what it means and allow that truth to direct your life on an ongoing basis. But he goes on. He gives instructions for the true seeker's home life. He doesn't only talk about us in general, but now he speaks about the home life. And he speaks to wives, to husbands, to children, and to fathers. He says, wives, and that's a little peculiar. He doesn't begin with the husbands, who is supposed to be the head of the home. He begins with wives. Now, why do you think he does that? Any suggestions? Huh? They need it the most, right? Well, that's the, that's the sort of the concept of most students, too, is the fact that this is the most difficult one here for the wives. To be submissive to your husband. But listen very carefully, wives. Being submissive to your husband and keeping with the word of God is the most holy, godliest thing you can do. In fact, it's the most godlike thing you can do. You say, why is that? Well, think of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is the Son and the Holy Spirit submissive to the Father and so on? They are. Within the context of the Trinity, there is submission. So if you are submissive to your husband the way God says, you would be more godlike than anything you can ever do because you are showing submissiveness as the submissiveness is shown within the context of the Trinity itself. Tremendous truth there. But remember now, this is spoken to the person who has a new life in Christ. Christ is living within them, and he enables them to do this. No wife can do this apart from the power of the Spirit of God in their lives. This is why it's so important for husband and wife to be close to Jesus Christ. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now again, we did many messages on this, so we don't have time to dwell on that again. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. These are commands now. Love your wives and never treat them harshly. If you love someone, you will not treat them harshly. When you do, you're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It is demonstrating fleshly carnality instead. Now, this is a command, husbands, to love your wives. Now, that's strange. Can you, love, can you command someone to have an emotion for somebody else? Normally you say, no, I cannot command you to feel good. I cannot command you to feel bad. I cannot command you to hate anyone. That's a feeling that springs up within your own soul, isn't that right? But yet, when it comes to husband and wife and those who are living a new life in Christ, we have a command from our master, Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. Now, when you go to Ephesians, he says, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, it's a sacrificial love. You give your life to the point of death if necessary. That's quite a command, isn't it? But for those who are husbands and we are in Christ, that's the kind of love we are to demonstrate. I keep telling my wife over and over, especially because I'm so old now, I only live for one purpose as far as we are concerned, and that is to please her, to honor her, and to be sure that she's happy. Why? Because I will be honoring God. I will be glorifying God when I do that. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. This is a command to children as well. This shows again that as far as the New Testament was concerned in the early church, the children were present in the church services. Because all of these letters would it be read to the services? You read that again. In fact, he said the same letter here that is to be read to the Laodiceans. The Ephesians letter would it be read also to Laodiceans. And he addresses people in the congregation. In fact, he goes on to fathers and he goes on to the next verse to uh, slaves. Now today, of course, we compare them to servants or uh, domestics, as we would say, in the house. What we have here is a picture of a household. Father, mother, children, and servants. Now today, of course, people are trying to change that. You're going to have father, father, mother, mother. Easy. But this is how God describes it. And within the context of that household, for those of us who are in Christ, we are to show what the triune God is like. We are to show what the triune God is like. Submissive to one another as far as the heads are concerned, obedience and so on. We are to demonstrate Christ's likeness in our relationships. Let me um, go back here to read, it says... Um, Talking to fathers. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. This is a heavy message. This is a needed message today 
I wish we had time to develop this. Do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. One translation says, or you will break their spirits. One of the worst things we can do for anyone, especially our children, is to break their spirit. And if we as fathers do not love our wives the way we should and to demonstrate Christ-like love towards our wives, that is a bad message to our children. If we do not bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord in the way that God wants us to, we could cause them to become discouraged. We could break their spirits. We have to watch about how we speak to our children. We have parents who are over-permissive. We have some parents who are under-permissive. We have parents who over-discipline. We have parents who do not discipline enough. We have to know what the balance is and the God's word gives us the direction, and I trust that we will continue to go through that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Now let me give you just a little idea of studying the scriptures when you come to a portion like this when you say well we don't have slaves and masters anymore in our society what are we supposed to do with this passage do we disregard it do we overlook it people say no and right away they put employees and employers in this text which is okay here's why it's okay when you come to a passage and the historical particulars are not the same as today you look for correspondence in other words what corresponds today to somebody who is under the authority of someone else because that's what he's talking about slaves and masters isn't right he's talking about someone who is under the authority of someone and masters who are who have that authority so what do you have today that corresponds to that but you have people who are uh, under the uh, under submission to other people or they're over them as far as position is concerned, employer, employee. We could even broaden that to have the idea of, uh, what is the word? Employer and, what's the word, Paul? No, not employees, another one. Yeah, management and employee. Employee. Well, I'm trying to think about the, the organizational thing that we have today. All, when, when do you always have fights? We have fights between the unions and these type of things, right? Again, you can apply the principles to all of those kinds of relationships. And if you do, those relationships will change all together. Because you see that there's a caring for one another. There's not putting one above the other, but there's a mutual care. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. He's talking to Christian servants or Christian slaves. Walk willingly at whatever you, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, when I was a young man, I took this literally. I worked for a man called his name was Bill William Yanowitz. He was a Jew. 
He owned a department store down Bay Street. He used to sell the best shoes to be found in the Bahamas. Church's shoes. Have any of you people ever heard of church's shoes? Yeah. They were the best shoes you could buy. The governor used to come in to buy them. The prime minister used to come. All of the big-time people used to come in to buy these shoes. We were the first ones to sell clocks as well. But anyway, I was working at the post office, and one day when I was putting the letters into the post boxes, this man says, are you Alan? I says, yes. He says, I want you to work for me. I remember his box number, P.O. Box 816. I says, work for you? He says, yeah. He says, Charlie Wong told me about you, and I'd like for you to work for me. I was working at the post office. I went, met him, talked with him, and he offered me the job as manager. I was only 17, I think, 18 years old. But I took that job as a young Christian, and I took this, I took this command here very seriously. I acted as though that business belonged to me. I used to go early before anyone else and leave after everyone else was left. Within a month, he raised me more than three times. He gave me a raise. He had a home in um, Palm Beach. Now he said, Alan, I'm going away. He, had, he owned apartments and everything else. He says, now, I'm going to sign all these checks. He's not filling me. He's going to sign them all in. And I want you to take care of my business until I come. I did everything faithfully. I did it faithfully. About a year, year and a half in my employment there. He says, I can't keep raising you. So I'm going to give you a commission, not only on what you make, but on what everybody else in the staff makes. And I told him eventually that I wanted to go to Bible school. He said, Bible school? Why do you want to go to Bible school? And I told him of my faith in Christ and about Jesus. Now, we started to talk about Jesus. He believed that Jesus was a good man, of course, but not a Christ, not a Savior, not Messiah. We had many long talks. But I remember sitting down, and he said, Alan, I appreciate what you're doing so much. I could trust you with anything. He finally gave me the key to everything he owned. I had access to all his money. All the apartments that he had, I had access to and everything else. If I wanted to, I could rob him, and he would not even know about it. What would you say? There you go. <laughs> if I wanted to, I would get rich to read. The way Lindsay got rich. You see? <laughs> my, my point is, though, he came to say that you think that this business is your own. And I said, yes, I do, because this is my livelihood. I remember one of the last talks I had with him was when he said, Alan, you really want to go away to school? I said, yes, Mr. Yanowitz, I want to go. But that, by, I, I was then the... the I used to take care of my family because my father had died and so on. And I used to take care of the family. So I used to credit a lot of stuff from the department store. I had uh, an account with him that thick. Now, of course, I was the one who took care of all of the accounts. But I had a page just like that in this book that we kept all the things in. And he says, well, okay, what is it? Why, why don't you go? I says, because one, number one, I owe you too much money. Number two, I don't have any money to go with me. He got up from his chair. He went under the cash register, brought out the ledger, took out all of the pages that was under my name, and tore them up. 
But before he did that, he says, now, Alan, I want you to promise me one thing, that whenever you come back to Nassau, you will come here to work for me. And I don't care who is the manager, you will still get a manager's pay. Why did God honor me in such a way through that Jewish man? Is because I took this seriously and literally. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. He rewarded me in that job. But this is talking about something even greater. And that the master you are serving is Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's it. We are serving Christ. Even here at Calvary Bible Church, whatever it is we do, whether it's in the media, whether it's out there with the traffic, whether it's an elder, whether it's the pastor, whether it's a deacon, whatever it is, we are not serving man. We are serving Jesus Christ. And like he tells us in here, we are to please him before we please man. And sometimes we have to displease man if we are to please Christ. And we have to be willing to do that. If you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. I don't care what it is. If we have lied our way into a position, if we have lied our way to get advantages or whatever it is, it's going to come back to us, especially if we are professing Christians. God does not allow sin, even in the Christian's life, to go undisciplined. Notice I said undisciplined, not unpunished, because Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sin, but we still are disciplined for it, and he will do that. He wants us to live in such a way that Christ is magnified in our lives all the time. He wants us to attract unbelievers to ourselves so they would be attracted to Jesus Christ. That's how this true seeker is to live to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul talks about here in Colossians chapter 3. Again, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Place your eyes on the resurrected Christ. Be a seeker who seeks to be like Jesus Christ by setting your mind on him as he is revealed in his word as your resurrected, glorified, and sown coming Lord of lords and King of kings who will transform you into this very likeness. That's who we are to look upon. Don't look at Christ as a big uh, daddy who gives us everything we want, who gives us everything to be wealthy, healthy, and so on. No, no, no. He's not our big daddy. He is our risen, glorified Lord, and we must worship him as such. Amen?